I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Decrypt Media, this is the Decrypt Daily, and my name is Matthew Diemer. Today on this show, we're talking about NFTs and money laundering. That and other news coming up today on the Decrypt Daily. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Today is Monday, January 17th, 2022. I've been saying 2021 so often and I don't even notice it. And then somebody actually called me out on Twitter and I'm just embarrassed. I, I understand. Even though it's a new episode, if I say 2021 in it, you don't know if I'm just replaying old episodes. So I apologize. I'm going to get it right. It's about time to get it right. Today is Martin Luther King Day. My favorite quote from MLK, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And I like that quote because, as you guys know, from listening to this show, I'm a pretty positive dude. At least I hope I, you know, convey myself that way. I, I really feel like people should do the best for humanity, for their neighborhoods, for their communities, for their country, uh, for their family. And just really, I don't know, just be a positive influence. And I really like that quote because it helps me make sure that I'm always trying to trying to be as positive as possible and do the right things for the right reasons. Anyway, happy MLK Day. I hope everybody goes out there and tries to do something positive. If it's in the crypto space or in any other industry or any other way of trying to interact, let's do something positive, not only today, but every day. And now let's see if we have some positive movements in those crypto prices. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. And I'm recording this at 1120 Eastern Standard Time. We have Bitcoin sitting at $42,350, down 2.2 in 24. Ethereum is down 4 at $3,230. Binance Coin is at 472 down 6%. Tether, number 4. And Cardano at 149 up 6%, which is absolutely crazy. Running off the top 10, we have USDC, Solana, XRP, Luna, and Polkadot. Total market cap rate at 2 trillion even, a BTC dominance of 39.7 and an F dominance of 19.1. And we don't have conversations on the show that much anymore. The reason is, is we wanted to focus more on just the headlines, the daily news, make it short, quick, sweet, and to the point for you so you can get your news, get in, get out, and just enjoy your day. Uh, but when Joseph Weinberg, the co-founder of Shift Network, reached out to me with this topic, NFTs and money laundering, it really piqued my interest. So here is Joseph Weinberg, the co-founder of Shift Network, and myself talking about NFTs and money laundering. Joseph Weinberg, co-founder of Shift Network. How you doing? Welcome to the show, sir. Great. Good to be here once again. Thanks for having me. Absol- absolutely. Absolutely. Look, you guys emailed and, and proposed this topic, NFTs and money laundering. And I was just like, yes, yes. Especially since today, we just heard that OpenSea broke another record of $3.5 billion halfway through January in trading volume. That was uh, that exceeded their August uh, record of 342 and their December, $3.2 billion. Wow. And we're, we look like we're going to hit about $5 billion this month. Tell me what you think of those numbers and tell me what we're talking about today, sir. 
I mean, I think like the numbers are incredible and it speaks to like the growing, you know, distribution of the space, which is like, we all want that. That's, you know, prime time. That's where we want to be. And I think NFTs are undoubtedly what get us to, you know, that prime time spot as I think everyone knows. Um, I think what's interesting is that, you know, these are open, you know, marketplaces, like, like, you know, open sea, anyone can connect, anyone can come in. And that's the beauty of it, right? Is it's frictionless, you know, transaction on a marketplace. Um, I think that that's also where like, uh, the interesting case that that you know some people have noticed and some people are are starting to focus on is you know there's a large percentage of that transaction flow that very likely is you know illicit activity uh, and if you actually think about it it's it's quite a, a brilliant approach it's you know you can mix you know funds into all these different JPEGs it looks kind of ridiculous who's going to go after a you know a penguin um or think of a penguin as actually being the center of money laundering um but i think it's going to be something that uh you know going forward regulators are definitely going to have to look at uh, across the board so so when you see this and i don't want to be i guess negative on the crypto space but i do want to be open and honest about the crypto space and i guess when we're seeing numbers like this and you have to approach it as a skeptic, as skeptic you have to approach it as holistic and realistic because regulators are going to come into the space and what are they going to find and are they going to see like this volume as the reason to double down and engage even even harder what do you think the regulators are looking at when we have headlines of the 3.5 billion dollars in trading volume of open sea yeah i think that they're looking at a few things they're looking at it and saying well wait a minute how much of this is sanctioned um money right and that's where like we get into a lot of trouble right like it's not so much about like the the smaller flows but like like how today does OpenSea address and even know if, you know, assets are coming from sanctioned countries like Iran, right? Like, you know, there's already been, we already know there's been transactions that happen across um, those types of jurisdictions and with people that would be sanctioned entities. And it's really unfortunate in that, like, you know, you might be a, an 18 year old buying, you know, some sort of a cat photo and you actually just changed funds with someone that's, you know, been on a terrorist watch list. Um, and so like, that's, um, you know, where I think it gets dangerous. And that's the things that they're worrying about and starting to really look at is, you know, these assets will be used for the ability to, you know, move money like this. And so we need to uh, figure out solutions to solving this eventually. Before we just assume everybody understands what this what we're talking about, let's yeah. real quick just frame this. What is money laundering? Yeah, so money laundering is basically the process of taking funds that were um, you know gained from illicit activities, uh, things like uh, you know trafficking of humans, um, you know illegal narcotics uh, trafficking, basically anything that in the financial system you'd look at as illegal activities linked to money and money flows. Um, and effectively exchanging that or trying to uh, literally launder it to mix it uh, to basically try to clean your funds, right? Um, so that happens a lot in the traditional financial system, a little bit in the centralized, uh, you know, exchanges today. And that's really where regulators focus on is saying, like, how do we make sure that we reduce the amount of illicit money that's that's moving through networks? So art and expensive pieces of, I don't know, either furniture or cars or music instruments have always been part of money laundering. And I've, I've spoken about the million dollar violin on the show a couple of times uh, where people would just have, you know, millions of dollar violins and they would just sell them from one country to another or people in other countries. And basically what you're doing is taking value of, this is called a million dollars from say, was say within China, buying that million dollar violin that was made in 1580, I don't know, France and flying it to somewhere else, another country, say Italy, next thing you know, you just transferred a million dollars in value. But now with NFTs, we can say 
I don't know, let's call it a $69 million uh, NFT uh, can now be bought and sold mixed uh, the Ethereum. So you don't know actually where they came from or where the funds are going to. And next, you know, that $69 million of value just got transferred um, and we don't know where it went for the most yeah. part. Yeah. And, and I think we're actually seeing this already. I think there's been a few cases where people were looking at NFTs that were trading for, you know, tens of millions of dollars that, you know, just quite frankly, have no reason to be worth that amount. Uh, and just the spikes in these prices uh, is really probably uh, an indicator to say, you know, there's some sort of money laundering occurring or some sort of way that people are, are using these to to effectively wash funds or clean, clean funds. So another way to do this would be also, I mean, you don't even have to do it with people or an exchange. Oh, you could do it with an exchange. You don't even have to do it with between other people. You could do it with yourself, correct? Yeah. 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 And that's the big thing, right? Is like you can basically create one of these NFTs, you effectively seed it, you basically distribute it, uh, and then you can effectively come become the primary buyer. You start building up a market. Uh, and then once you've built up that market, people start buying and trading and exchanging from you, and you're effectively washing and laundering your own assets. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, it's, I think we see a lot of cool techniques like that. I, I mean, I find them interesting from a, you know, a, a research perspective. So, yeah. I, well, 100%. And, you know, the thing is, is I, I want to highlight that I've had many people on the show, artists on the show, people who work with digital art, and this is their livelihood. And so I want to underscore here that there are a lot of good people, a lot of good artists that are now getting access to buyers and people of interest and in creating personal brands and in an art community around what they love to do in this space. And NFTs have allowed them to sell unique individual works of art to people who are inspired by their work. So there are the good aspects to NFTs. However, now that we're talking about this, but I'm just saying like they can make a random NFT if it's, yeah, and then start, you know, moving, moving money around. What then is the solution? Yeah. Like, and I think that this is actually the worst thing is like art, artists and everyone is actually like finding new ways of creating their livelihood, their ownership. Like this is incredibly liberating for an entirely, you know, a new industry, like from an art, art, art perspective. And like, yeah, it would suck to be like, you know, mixing funds and getting in trouble as an artist without even knowing that this happened. And so I, I think that there's, we have some solutions today. And I think the future really looks like, uh, you know, a few different things. Like we need systems that are effectively on chain that can attest to identity and at least do some sort of very minimal identity, you know, cross-referencing or verification. It, it may, it may be that like, you know, prior to entering in or executing a, you know, a marketplace trade, you know, there's a quick uh, request to say, you know, this is some person, are they on these lists? Is this, you know, these funds uh, from illicit activities? Uh, the ecosystem has a lot of infrastructure today to already kind of allow that. Um, but just to make it more safe for people that are, you know, trying to to effectively buy and sell in these in these marketplaces, because, you know, the 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 point one percent of bad actors spoils it for everyone else. So what you're actually saying here is whitelisting wallets. Would that be correct? I think it's more it's not even so much whitelisting. It's more just saying like prior to the transactions executing, you can request to understand information, like hit certain APIs, understand certain open databases, do quick checks to make sure that this isn't sanctioned money. This money actually didn't just come from a dark market that's trading in, in weapons uh, and being able to give that kind of um, that view prior to that transaction executing. So it wouldn't be necessarily whitelisting, but there'd be different forms, I guess, of whitelisting in some cases. So what you're saying is there's going to be ways or there are ways for people to 
verify identity without basically doxing themselves. Exactly. Yeah. And, and just building like almost like an on-chain KYC uh, equivalent proof, but that would be very, very light. It would be the most minimal information. And it would just come back with a score being like, this is very likely not, or this has def definitely been, been linked, um, block these transactions and, and things like that. Because that's what regulators are going to demand that in the next 24 months. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. So I would say. I 100% agree, but I'm happy that you brought up regulators because that's exactly where I was going to go next because regulators aren't doing this just because of money laundering. And honestly, they're not really doing this. They, they are doing it for money laundering purposes, but mostly they're doing it because of taxation and they want to make sure that you're paying your taxes um, and, and they're, they're, they're getting something from it. So how could you, I think realistically, can we really realistically expect that the solution that you just proposed, like this KYC AML solution that didn't dox the owners, but, you know, just made sure that they weren't, you know, transferring illicit funds would be the solution. More than likely, it would be like you would have a government would want you, a regulator would want you to have your name. So understand the only way you place you can uh, transact is this one wallet, because if you do sell a pudgy penguin for $100,000, we're going to make sure that you're paying your cut. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think it'll come up, come down to the country, right? What country and uh, what are the requirements? You know, if you're in the U.S., very likely they'll go to an open sea equivalent and say, listen, you are directly benefiting. You're making money off of these transactions and you're basically uh, the same as an exchange. And if that's the case, then you're completely correct is that, you know, you need full KYC against all participants in the system. Uh, so it really depends on like the anatomy of the structure, right? If you are a very decentralized open marketplace, you are not uh, directly benefiting from it from a transaction revenue perspective, then you may not fit into the, the existing model of, of, you know, being a virtual asset service provider uh, or an exchange effectively. Um, but in most of these cases as centralized or semi-centralized platforms, they will be actually in the same, you know, uh, boundaries, which means you're right, full KYC uh, on all, all participants in the system. Um, so I think we'll see different models continue to, you know, approach these differently. How much do you think, and I don't know if there's any research on this, but how much do you think of the NFT market right now? And we're just, I, I know I've mentioned Pudgy Penguins, so I just want to just make it clear that Pudgy Penguins is a good project. I, I'm not saying that they are, they are responsible for anything. So please don't try to uh, <laughs> assume yeah. what, I, what I was saying. Uh, also, w when I keep saying OpenSea, we are just talking about OpenSea because they just released how much volume they had, but there are plenty of other platforms, SoulSea and all kinds of other places where that are, NFTs are being so sold and bought. But so there's billions and billions of dollars in the NFT space being transacted right now every month. How much do you, do, you, do you think or is there any research of how much of this is illicit funds or money laundering? I think it's actually too early to quite tell. And I think the reason is that, you know, you can look at it and say, maybe it's just we're looking at and targeting only sanctioned wallets. We definitely know that there already has been. So it is absolutely confirmed that we know that illicit funds have been moving through. That's the first step. Getting an understanding of how much is going to be a bit more challenging. And I think we'll have to figure out how we build the models and the frameworks to figure out 
is this or is it not, right? So the indicators are just not quite clear. So I don't think we have a, a, a definitive understanding of it yet. I kind of just want to break down a, a little bit more about the ways of doing this because there's a lot of projects that start and they are totally, you know, just legit projects. But when you have illicit money coming in, it's possible that these projects go from, let's just say a 0.01 F mint to a 50 F floor because of this illicit money moving to these projects going like, yeah, we can move that. That's the one we're going to gravitate on. And that's what's going to pump the price. Is that kind of how it works? Yeah, like I think there's a few models. One would be, uh, that's exactly correct. You know, new project comes out. Uh, there's a coordination amongst the the uh, people with money that obviously say, we're going to increase the floor of this. Uh, that A, drives other people to buy it, of course. So it allows us to start mixing flows uh, of funds. Um, and then the higher the price, the more they can effectively execute uh, trades uh, through that that uh, given project. Um, the other thing will be that, you know, as opposed to just like caring about the floor, it also might be that they'll say, we're going to increase the floor price, not even expecting other people to enter into this and basically just start allowing it to change hands and then basically changing their addresses. So it could be one person with 10 addresses that's just buying and selling it across themselves to make it look like they were basically, uh, you know, transacting this uniquely across other people. Um, and then basically properly selling it off uh, and maybe a discount even because they don't really care so much about the entirety. So you'll sell it at a discount, reduce it and then liquidate it. Um, and so, yeah, there's a few different models that at least I've seen so far. Um, there's probably more that we don't know about yet, too. When the Pokemon card phenomenon happened about a year or two years ago, I actually heard of people running around the world buying boxes of Pokemon cards so they can create artificial scarcity. And I can't, and I see it to, to drive up the price, you know, and I, I, I assume that it's also happening in the NFT space. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, you know, a lot of very big whales and, and everything is a trade. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's, I think, you know, uh, largely what's driving a lot of it, to be honest. Right. You know, you can keep floor prices increasing steadily. It drives more attraction and, and then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in some cases. So. <laughs> then there's the legal and I'm, we, I don't want to call this money laundering, but there are tax, I guess, incentives for, for these things as well. And the last thing, one of the things that I was talking about um, last week on the show was we see a lot of these celebrities, right? With now um, board apes or mutant apes or whatever, and they paid, you know, $250,000, $300,000 for them. It, is it possible that they're just doing this for the tax write-offs that they're buying them under, say, their LLC or for their company and then saying, well, now I have a company purchase or a purchase that is going to be used for businesses. I just paid $300,000 for a board ape and now I get to write that off as a business business expense. Do you think that's happening a lot or am I, did I just make that out of left field and it's not possible? Oh. I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a great assumption, right? I, I think, you know, people execute tax strategies in many different ways. And, and I do think that is a, a valid one. Um, you know, I think they're mainly doing it because they are just interested, right? Uh, if they get the extra kicker and bonus from a, a tax perspective, obviously that's great, right? So I think there's, it's experimentation, but also might have uh, its advantages, right? So, yeah. And obviously $300,000 to say somebody like Eminem isn't that much, isn't, isn't, isn't much money. Exactly. He doesn't care about $300,000, even though it sounds like a shit ton of money to anybody else is listening to the show. He's just like, eh, it's a Monday. Yeah. And if you bought it and it's, you know, and it's creating it a loss at the end of the year, you know, you might be able to offset losses and stuff. Exactly. So different things you can do like that for sure. Exactly. Now here is the question. Can we actually have rational, fair legisl legislation and regulation now that we spoke about 
all of these different ways and different, I don't know, just ways to look at the transfer of money. And if people say that regulators need to back off and get their hands out of it, it's almost impossible considering in just 10 minutes, we unpacked a flurry of different possibilities for illicit funds, tax deductions, and other ways to operate the system. And we're not even the people that are doing it. It, what what do you think the legal outlook is going to look after or going going down the road? I think the right approach is to really change the way that regulation is done. That would be the appropriate approach is to say this ecosystem changes the fundamental question of what is regulation. And we can't approach them in these archaic traditional ways. We need a more adaptive approach to all these things. And what does that look like? It, that looks like something that is effectively focused on how the ecosystem works. So, you know, to say that centralized entities have to control and hold all pieces of information is crazy. There's zero knowledge proof technologies that allow us to just verify that information is accurate. But of course, not allowed to use that in most contexts, uh, at least in, in the implementation, right? Like to say that all these jurisdictions have all these cascading different uh, requirements like that doesn't make sense in the context of a global infrastructure. Like we should have universalized standard compliance. So at least we have the same rules to the road where we go because the internet is everywhere. It is not fractured into these different jurisdiction uh, locales. Um, and, and then it's also like adaptive regulation to say, you know, these types of systems operate the way that we just described in the case of NFTs, for example, we should have a way of like, authenticating in some capacity, uh, you know, and pseudo anonymously verifying information and allowing this like federated compliance almost to take place where you're not relying on a DeFi project or an NFT project to solely be the one in charge of all this user data. They should have a system that they can verify against and just do the sanity checks where they're not bloated with the compliance requirement. So that's the way that we should be doing. Last question for you is there's always a dialogue between let's say the people who are very entrenched and advocates of the crypto space and traditional regulators. Do you think that crypto advocates are going to allow regulators to regulate or they will always push back to say that this is not the ethos or this is an infringement and this is not what we're trying to do? Or do you think that there is um, an understanding from the crypto space in general that looks at this as a must for regulators and they will comply or help with the with this whole regulator pro regulation process. I think there's always going to be this push and pull for two reasons. One, like, does the amount of effort match the amount of risk? That's the way we should look at this. And from an actual like, explain that. So, like, you know, is the amount of illicit activity that's occurring actually worth the billions of dollars or hundreds of billions the world spends on compliance? You know, money still flows, illicit activity still happens. You maybe catch 1%, I think the actual numbers in the traditional system, 1% of all illicit activity is actually caught. So that means 99% of it isn't caught. And so you spend all this money but you're only catching 1%, that doesn't seem like a very effective system. And so in the case of in the context of the crypto space, we have less illicit activity as a total amount. I think it's something like between 0.1 and 1% of total transactions. That's what we found. And you know these are transparent systems. They come with a lot more historical risk for anyone doing illicit activity. So like, why is it that we would approach this when there's such a small amount of, of problems and we're not capturing them properly? Like it, we're not we're not matching the amount of output and work required to actually 
capture a large percentage of it. And so that's where I think the problem comes in. And if regulators were willing to adapt new approaches to regulation, I think technologists and people in the space would be much more, uh, you know, thinking about it. But generally speaking, it's it's a very archaic system and way of thinking, and we're getting thrown archaic approaches to things that don't make sense. So, so you're thinking about this as more of a business person, like, does my bottom do I actually gain from this? If, if I spend a dollar, am I going to make two dollars off of this? But what is actually happening right now, I spend a dollar and we're actually making a penny, two pennies off of this. Actually, the entire uh, so the financial action task force and the international regulatory bodies look at it that way. So they're actually measuring themselves based on the percentages of illicit activity that's captured. So they look at it that way. It's not just me, um, but mm. they and like they're failing at their own game, right? <laughs> In a weird way, right? Like they're not they're not as a and and actually like regulation in in the context of compliance like this is actually measured by effectiveness. So how effective are you being? If it's only 1%, that doesn't seem very effective. There's something wrong. There's other problems at work. That's that's very interesting. Now, I guess the question is using this system and should we be trying to stop this illicit money transfer or this money laundering? Is, is it even worth it? I mean, I know we said about, about on paper, it doesn't seem the dollars and cents add up, but but for the, I guess, benefit of humanity and these other aspects you is it is it something that we should be pursuing i think we 100 percent should like i think what most people most people are very easy you know in the crypto space especially on crypto twitter and everything else to kind of like really attack compliance but like if you are a compliance officer and you are seeing human trafficking violations occur like bad people exist in the world 100 percent and like bad things are happening and like you know even if it is only one percent that we're capturing that is like some incredible atrocities like that no one here would be okay with. And so like, I think that that is, you know, these people have an important job as compliance officers and this part of the space is very important to, to the things that they are, they're working on, right. They're trying to keep people safe. That's, that's what people get lost in translation, I think. And that's a, a problem. Very interesting. And if you're listening to this conversation, please email us at Matthew Aaron at decrypt.co. I will share it with Joseph, but let me know what you think about NFTs, money laundering, how we should approach the regulations, KYC, AML, and what should be the results of our efforts in catching this illicit money transfer. Joseph Weinberg, co-founder of Shift Network. Thanks for coming on the show and talking about this very interesting conversation. And we have such a heavy lift in the future to figure out what the right fit for regulations is for this space and all the different niches of this new technology. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me as always. Moving into some brief headlines. After today's conversation, this news might hit a little differently. OpenSea has now reached a new record trading value, and they passed the $3.5 billion mark. Their last record was $3.42 billion in August. They were at $3.24 billion in December, and now midway through January, they've already hit $3.5 billion. Where are we going to end this month off at? Who knows, but five seems in sight. Crust Files, the first Web3 personal file storage, is now available with an affiliate program giving away $50 million in rewards. Crust Shadow has been onboarded as a parachain on the Kusama network and will be connected to the network within two weeks. Crust has also reached a cooperation with Solana to provide storage services for its public chain. And finally, 
Italian luxury house Fendi is entering Web3 through a partnership with global digital asset management platform Ledger. As part of this new venture, Fendi and Ledger are releasing a debut collection of tech accessories designed by Fendi that brings the legacy brand's craftsmanship to a unique case design for Ledger's secure hardware crypto wallet. The accessories are for the Ledger Nano X, and they will be available at Fendi.com beginning June of 2022. I can promise you they'll be nice, well-designed, great quality, but not cheap. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Deemer. I'll be back tomorrow. Same Matt time, same Matt channel. And until then, happy hodling, everyone. <laughs>